0: Once again, to the book of Hebrews. We're looking to look at chapter 11, verse 8. Holy. We're ministering on defining moments. Somebody say defining moments. Has anybody had any defining moments lately? May I ask again, has anybody had any defining moments lately? Amen. Don't worry, they're coming. <laughs> we know the word define means a state. Or describes exactly the nature, scope, or meaning of. It means to make up or establish the character of. It means to mark out the boundaries or limits of. Once again, the word define means state. Or describe exactly the nature, scope, or meaning of. It means to make up or establish the character of. It means to mark out the boundaries or limits of. We know the word moment is a particular stage in something's development or in a course of events. Once again, the word moment is a particular stage in something's development or in a course of events. So God is saying there there is particular stages in your spiritual development. There are going to be some course of events in your life that will define or reveal your true spiritual state. Come on say amen somebody. It's going to reveal and establish your character or who you really are. Amen. amen. And they're going to mark out the boundaries you have put on yourself or the limits you have put on yourself. So we're looking at here in Hebrews chapter eleven what we call the hall of faith. Glory to God. And we're seeing where each one of them had defining moments in their lives. But here in Hebrews eleven eight, we're looking at Abraham, who had a lot of defining moments. Somebody say he had a lot. Just like you're gonna have a lot of defining moments throughout your lifetime. Come on. Matter of fact, if you think back even right now, you have have had a lot of defining moments. Amen. 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 Some of them you did all right. Some of them you did terrible. (laughs) And everybody say, amen, amen. Amen. Glory to God. But like here, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, by faith, somebody say by faith. Abram, when he was called to go out into a place where he should have should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he did what? Went he went out not knowing whither he went. Once again, you're going to find in every defining moment your faith is involved in making the right choice. I'm going to say my faith is involved. So in that defining moment, sometimes your flesh gets in the way and you make the wrong choice. In that defining moment, sometimes your reasoning gets in the way and you end up making a wrong choice in that defining moment. Because why? We know the flesh and and, and, and your flesh and your what? Reasoning will get in the way of your faith. They do not mix. Tell your neighbor they do not mix. So in that defining moment, it's going to have to be by what? By what? By what? Faith. Come on, we are people of faith. The Bible said the just shall live by faith. So how else are you going to expect to live? Come on, say amen. So everything has to be done by what? Faith. So Abram had to prove his greatness by passing ten tests of faith. Some might say ten. Amen. amen. Now in this defining moment it's describing right here, Abram and Sarah were challenged to do what? Sever all ties with their past and sever all ties with their loved ones. And that can be a challenge for a lot of people. Amen. Your loved ones get, away, get in the way of what? Your call on your life or what God wants you to do. Come on, because they don't understand what you're doing. And there's no use you trying to explain it to them. That's why he just says cut ties. Okay, amen. But this is number one. So what did Abram do in this defining moment or the test of his faith? Genesis 12, 8. So Abram did what? Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. So Abram did what? He departed, Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. He did what? He, verse 4, rather. He departed as the Lord has spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. So they, so they, so they take the defining moments, like, like I said last week, don't take defining moments lightly. Come on, why? Because they will will mess up your life if you make the wrong choice. But you have to come to a conclusion, this is a defining moment. What am I going to do? Amen? Amen. I got to make sure I make the what? Right decision. So what happens here? So they go to the land of Canaan. And just after he had settled down in his new homeland, and where God had promised him every manner of blessing, what happens? A famine hits. Verse 10, and there was famine in the what? Land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was what? Grievous in the land. Somebody say defining moment number two. Come on, defining moment number two. So in this defining moment, he had to really decide if this was God's voice or not, because when he got there, there was what? Famine in the land, amen? So, you know, we've challenged with the same thing. We, we, you know, we know we heard the voice of God. We know we're doing the right thing. But why is all these bad things happening? Amen. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. amen. That is a what? Defining amen. moment to really know that I know that I know that I know I heard from God. Regardless of what is happening right now. Amen. Hello. Amen. So he went to Egypt. But we know he didn't go completely in faith, but he did go to Egypt like God told him to do in that defining moment. But as soon as he passed that test, what he greatly feared ended up happening. Amen. In his third defining moment, he ended up what? Compromising. Somebody say compromising. What did he do? You know, he told the Egyptians that Sarah was his sister to save his own butt. Amen. What happened? Once again, his flesh. And his reasoning got the best of him. And in that defining moment, he made a bad decision that could have cost him his family. Come on, materially and spiritually. Come on, say amen, somebody. Since Sarah was to be the matriarch of God's chosen family. Now, we give God glory for bailing him out. And we give God glory for bailing us out when we have made wrong decisions. Come on, say amen, somebody. Now, his fourth defining moment in the test of faith was when he had to face those four kings after Lot and his family was taken. And here we go. We're at Genesis 14, 14. And it says, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, glory to God. Now, he, once again, if you look at this, he didn't call his brother his nephew. I mean, Lot his nephew. He called him his what? His brother. Why? He looked past his natural bloodline and addressed him by his what? Spiritual bloodline. Come on. Say amen, somebody. So what did he do? Instead of getting on Lot, saying, forget Lot, you on your own, boy. Come on, say amen, somebody. You got yourself into that. You get yourself out. Come on. What did he do? He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them to where? Dan. In verse 16, it says, he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot. Amen. And his goods. And the women also, and the what people. So in this defining moment, Abram yielded to the will of God concerning his brother. Amen. Concerning his what? Brother. brother. Let's look at defining number number five, Genesis 16:1. Once again, we're very familiar with this one. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, bear him no children. She had a handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in in unto my maid, and maybe that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now in this defining moment, he was presented with the opportunity to do what? To believe the promise of God or listen to his wife who evidently didn't fully believe what God said. Come on, say amen somebody. Amen. And brothers, that's when you draw the line. And brothers, that's when you draw the line. Amen. You stay with what God says. Amen. And you say, that's all right, baby. I'll wait. <laughs> Glory to God. But we know things didn't happen like that. Amen. Well, meant what happened? Time. What happened? Things weren't happening fast enough for them we've all been there where things are not happening as fast as we want it to happen. Come on, say amen, somebody. And then when things are not happening as fast as we want them, that's when our defining moment comes. What am I going to do now? Am I going to take these matters in my own hands? God, I got this. I know you're kind of busy right now, so I take care of this right now. Come on, say amen, somebody. And we end up messing and jacking things up. Are you with me out here? So in verse 2, it says, Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing." We know here she went so far as to blame God for the reason she was barren. Amen. It's the Lord's father I don't have any children. She said, I pray thee to go unto unto my maid, and it may be that I may attain a children to her. And in this next defining moment, Abram says, it says, Abram what? Hearken to the voice of Sarah. What happened? The promise was challenged and they failed. What God said was challenged and they dropped the ball. And sometimes we do the same thing. Come on, say amen somebody. Where a promise is challenged, we fail. Because of pressure. Are you with me out here? What God said, and we know God said it. But do you think the devil's just gonna lay down and play dead when God told you something? He's always gonna challenge what God said. And that's gonna be your defining moment, whether to follow God or follow yourself. Amen. Amen. Come on, are you with me out there? But they dropped the ball. So in verse 4, he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that he, she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Once again, as soon as that baby was conceived, Sarah realized she failed in her defining moment, folks. So in verse 5, it says, And Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon me. Amen. She she, she admitted she was wrong. She admitted she was wrong. Sometimes that's, you know, I hate to say it, but that's something that's quicker than a man will. Okay, all right. It took a while to register. It took a while to register. took a while to register. Amen. But she just said, my wrong be upon me. I have given my maid into my bosom. When she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Once again, she put the Lord in the midst of all that mess. The Lord didn't have nothing to do with that decision. Come on, say amen, somebody. And Abram did what most men do. He didn't fess up and say, I'm sorry, baby. It was my fault, too. What did he do? He threw it back on her as if it was her fault. Verse 6, but Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleases thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. We know the message Bible reads verse 6 like this. The message Bible says, You decide, said Abram, your maid is your business. Now, somebody say your mate is your business. That means it ain't none of my business. Come on. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, all of a sudden, she is your business. She wasn't your business when you went in that tent with her. <laughs> it was our business at that time. Now, all of a sudden, it's who? It's your business. Amen. Like, you had nothing to do with it. I said, Sarah was abusive of Hagar. She ran away. And once again, none of this would have happened If they would have just trusted God in that defining moment concerning their marriage and trusted God in the defining moment concerning the promise he made to them. Come on, say amen, somebody. That's why, once again, you have to take it serious when you present it with a what? Defining moment in relationships. Somebody say relationships. Why? Because your decision in that relationship can have generational effects. Their children and your children's children. How they view things. Are you with me out there? Let's go down to Genesis 16, 15. It says, And Hagar bare Abram his son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was what? Four score and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. So Abram was 86 years old when he made that decision in that defining moment. But we notice in Genesis 17, 1. It says when Abram was 90 years old and 9, which was 99 years old, what happened? What happened? So we subtract 86 from 99. That's 13 years before God spoke to Abraham again because of that dumb decision he made at his defining moment. <laughs> Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. And we say that some people don't hear clearly from God because in that defining moment, they keep making the wrong decisions and the wrong choices. When God clearly told them what to do and what not to do. Come on, come on, say amen, somebody. And sometimes they're what? They don't seek God to the point where they clearly hear God's voice before they do it. Amen. So God reaffirms his covenant of Abraham, but this time it's going to cost you something. There's something you're going to have to do to remind yourself of the covenant I made with you. So, in Genesis 17:10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, and I seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and there shall be a token of a covenant between me and you. know, he's talking to Abraham now. And once again, you know this had to be painful at age 99. (laughs) Can I get an amen, brothers? Amen. Amen. That's a defining moment. (laughs) Amen. Whether he gonna obey God or not. Because God does give him a choice in verse 14. If you don't do this, what's gonna happen? And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh is of his foreskin is not circumcised what God say? That soul that soul shall be cut off from his people for he has what? Broken my covenant. This was a serious defining moment for Abraham and also the males in his household that are following him. Come on. Amen. But it's all hanging on what God told who? Abraham to do. So that was number six in his many notable defining moments. And once again, we stated it dealt with his spiritual side and his natural side in that defining moments. He had to do something in the natural to solidify what he's believing for God in the spirit. We say it again. He had to do something in the natural to solidify what he was believing in the spirit. And the sages teach, by removing the skin covering The organ of of continuity, circumcision teaches that man must eliminate barriers blocking his advancement. Man must what? Eliminate barriers blocking his advancement. So if you want to advance spiritually, something is going to have to be circumcised. Let me say that again. If you want to advance spiritually, something is going to have to be circumcised. Hallelujah. Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. Let's look at the seventh defining moment of Abraham. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Then Abraham journeyed from thence towards the south country and dwelt between what? Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. Now, when you made a mistake the first time, when you confronted with the defining moment, normally you will learn from your mistake and don't do it again. I said normally. <laughs> but that's not the case all the time because some of us seem to have to go through the school of hard knocks. Why? Because we can be very hard-headed and stubborn in some cases. Okay, y'all ain't going to get a big amen there. Well, Abram wasn't any different. Amen. Now, there are several defining moments here. One, notice it says he journeyed. Now, we know he had already settled down, but for some reason he moved. Now, the sages say that one of the reasons he moved is because of Lot. Because of Lot's incest relationship with his daughters. Oh, yeah. Good Now, you should know the story. You know, after Sodom and Gomorrah's incident, his wife looked back and became a what? Pillar of salt. Now, think about it. His wife is gone. His two daughters who were married when they were in Sodom. However, because both of their husbands were caught up in homosexuality activity. Neither one of them had consummated the marriage. So, really, Lot's daughters were virgins, but yet they were married. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) But we see something similar today. We see something similar today. We see something similar today when you have married couples going for months. (laughs) <laughs> and sometimes even years at a time without having sex it's possible very possible which becomes food on the table for the devil why he's eating it up because that sexual relationship in which God created for that purpose is now being violated and opening the door for to what? To one of the strongest desires known the man outside of money. Yes, yes, God, Turn to 1 Corinthians seven two. Now, this is one of them. I guess Papa Higgins called them them rabbit trails, the bunny rabbit trails. The guy get you off the trail. The guy got me off the trail right here. <laughs> but it's a good trail. It's a bunny hop. Somebody, it's a bunny hop. First Corinthians chapter seven verse two. It says, nevertheless, to what? to what to what to what avoid what fornication let every man have his own what wife and let every woman have her own what husband but notice it says to avoid fornication to avoid fornication to what Avoid fornication, which is the Greek word fornication, the Greek word pornea. If you want to spell it, it's P-O-R-N-E-I-A, which means harlotry, including adultery, incest, and homosexuality. Let me say it again. It says to avoid what? Fornication. Which is the Greek word "porneia," which include, which means harlotry, which includes adultery, incest, and homosexuality. Now, listen to me closely. Now, when it's referring to a woman, the New Testament uses the word "pornos." This is a word for prostitute. For what? Prostitute. It vividly informs us that a woman who has committed adultery has prostituted herself. Now, she may not have sold herself for money. She may have just traded her heart or her body or her, or her emotions for, for romance. Or for emotional support. But regardless of why she did it, God says she sold herself and entered into, and entered into the sin of prostitution. That's how God looks at it. Come on, say amen, somebody. Now, referring to a man, equal opportunity employer. Now, referring to a man who has committed adultery, the word pernia is used, and it depicts a man who has sexual intercourse with a prostitute. Now, though his emotions may try to tell him and he has found the sweetheart of his dreams. The Greek word pornea means he has slept with a prostitute. Now, they may not want to see it that way, but that's how God sees it. Tell your neighbor that's how God sees it. See, whenever, whenever a man has sexual relationship with a woman who is not his wife, Say it again. Whenever a man has sexual relations with a woman that who is not his wife God says his action is equivalent to seeking a prostitute for a cheap and dirty thrill. <laughs> Did y'all hear that? Now, I want to point out that the word pornography comes from this same Greek word. Are you listening to me out here? Pornos, the first part of that word pornography, which is used for an adulteress or prostitute. And the word grafo, which means to write. So pornography refers to the writing or reflections about prostitution. This means when a person meditates on the writings or the photography contained in pornography, it is equivalent of committing mental prostitution. Equivalent to what? Committing mental prostitution. Prostitution. Well, he got a shake How about masturbation? <laughs> you can't perform that act without a mental image. there's got to be a mental image in order you to perform that act and that mental image has to be of someone for some it could be a magazine (laughs) or that secret click on your computer that only you know about But regardless, it's still equivalent of committing mental prostitution. But what do they tell our children in school today? It's all right to masturbate. They teach that in school, you know. But all that sheds a light on Matthew 5, 28. Turn there. God expects you to wait like everybody else. Amen. Come on, say amen, somebody. Ain't no cheap thrills here. You know, the thrill is gone. Hey, <laughs> yeah, Maggie know that song. <laughs> the thrill is gone away. Come on. Matthew five twenty-eight. That <laughs> says, but I say unto you, That whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, all that sheds a light on what Jesus said here, folks. Even though he hasn't touched her physically, he hasn't committed, listen, he has committed mental prostitution. That's how God sees it. And pornography is committing mental prostitution. Which is considered this is a, which is considered a sexual act outside of marriage, and it's called fornication. It is considered a sexual act outside of marriage, pornography. And it's called fornication. Hello, glory to God. We'll go back to First Corinthians chapter seven, verse two, since y'all are so excited about that. <laughs> so he tells us how to avoid these situations, especially if you're married, especially if you're, especially if you're single people. You better listen. says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. It didn't say every man have his own husband, or every woman have her own wife. (laughs) Once again, fornication includes adultery, incest, and homosexuality. It says to avoid it, first of all, don't get your gender mixed up. A man is always going to be a man. His DNA will never change. I don't care how many operations he gets. (laughs) A woman is always going to be a woman. Her DNA will not change. I don't care how many hormones she takes to get muscles. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, say amen about somebody. So verse 3, to avoid fornication, married couples, it says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise, see, God's got you know, equal opportunity. Likewise, also the wife unto her husband. In other words, give your spouse what is due to them. He says it's due. <laughs> he's talking about sex here, folks. Yeah, yeah, I don't know it. He said, "What is what Do. The word benevolence is a Greek word, yonoia. and it means kindness, folks. In other words, it's the way God has given us to show kindness towards each other, kindness to our spouse. Are you with me out here? And he's saying it's due. Which is something that you owe to them. Not something you can use as a weapon or punishment because what you did or did not do that day. Or even how you treated me, how you talked to me. Or what you didn't give me that I wanted. Okay. Hallelujah. So verse 4 says. And the wife has not power of her own body. But the husband. And likewise. Also the husband. Has not power of his own body. But the wife. In other words. Your body belongs to your spouse. Whether you're tired or not. Whether you feel like it or not. Why? Because you don't go by your feelings. You go by what the word of God says. And he says it's due. He says it's due and your body does not belong to you. Come on, say amen somebody. So whatever it takes to get yourself ready before you get home. (laughs) You better do it. (laughs) Come on, say amen somebody. Singapore, y'all better listen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And if you're just that tired, you better come to him and say, or come to her and say, baby, not today, but I'll make it up tomorrow. But you better make it up Tomorrow. You better make it, <laughs> <tomorrow>. <laughs> and you better make it extra special. <laughs> this is word, folks. But he gets specific in verse five. He says, "Number first five: Defraud ye not one another, the other, except it be for, with a consent for a time, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer." Somebody say, that's the only time. time. Say it again, that's the only time. That's That's now when one of them, that's not, listen to this, that's not when one of them decides to get spiritual all of a sudden. (laughs) And I'm fasting in prayer today. It says with consent, meaning if the other party is in agreement with your spiritual self. (laughs) That's not your decision to make because why he just pointed out your body belongs to him or her. In other words, you can stop eating, (laughs) you can go on and pray. But you ain't stopping everything until we agree, baby. (laughs) But even if you agree that we're going to fast and pray, it continues that verse that says, and come together again. Come together again. Come together again. Why? That Satan... Tempt you not for your incontinency. The Living Bible reads it this way. Do not... The New Living Bible translation. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, not months, not years. Cause you ain't fasting no years anyway. <laughs> you barely fasten three days. <laughs> for a limited time. So you can what? Give yourself more completely to prayer. But afterwards, you should come together again. Why? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you. Because of your lack of self-control. But well, let's go to the message Bible. It says abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time. If you both agree to it. And if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting. But only. Only. For such times. They come back together again. Why? Because Satan has an ingenious way. Of tempting us. When we least. Expect it. Because you sit up there and say. I'm strong enough. But devil ain't nothing but setting you up folks. He will find a way. And it may be as simple as Pornography committing mental prostitution. Because you feel that's your relief. Okay, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because understand this. If you're not doing anything, If you're not looking at your husband. If you're not looking at your wife. You're looking at something. Because you're not a eunuch. (laughs) Hello. You're not a eunuch. You didn't do a vow. (laughs) Come on, say amen, somebody. But this is what happened a lot. Let's go back to Genesis 19.30. He didn't have a wife. His daughters no longer had a husband. But that didn't mean a thing because they never had sexual relations with the husbands anyway. So you can see, even in the setup of the story, the temptation is there, folks. See, temptation can lead you to things you never dreamed you would ever do. And that too was a what? Defining moment. So what happened, Genesis 1930? And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him. And he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in where? In a cave. He and his two daughters. Some might say defining moments. And the firstborn said oh unto the younger. <laughs> Our father's old. She, she hadn't read this before, right? <laughs> Our father is old. There's not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. We know what that is. You, you don't have to define, you know, spell that out, right? Understand that the devil is a master of deception, he's undeceived them to believe that there's no men left. I'm telling you, the only, the only man left is our father. Even though Abram and his clan are still alive, they're still inhabitants in the land, but they're deceived into believing, well, we'll never get a man. And we don't want to be virgins all of our lives. <laughs> And people think that today. Come on, they think that today. All the good men are taken. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now they got this thing, all the men are turning to homosexuality. There ain't no men left. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, say body. Hey man, they just taking all our men in jail. What we gonna do? What we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And understand that there is somebody for everybody on this planet. Let me say it again. There is somebody for everybody on this planet. That's why you see the oddest couples together. You say that got to be God. Am I right or wrong? So there's somebody for everybody on this planet. See, God made it that way. There's no such thing as a ratio of 10 to 1 because all you need is one. So what did they do? Verse 32. They said, come, let us make our father drink wine. Get him drunk. And we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father." And they made their father drink wine that night. And the first one went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not. I don't know how you not going to perceive. I don't care how drunk you are. <laughs> he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she came and ro- when she arose. Come on. When you woke up that morning, you know something was wrong. Hello? So what happened? The older sister convinced the younger sister to do the same thing. Why? See, the older sister had a lot of influence over the younger one. She had to have to convince her to do this. Come on, say amen, somebody. Which is why it's so important for the older siblings to set example for the younger ones. Because they're following you. Let me say it again. Because they're What? They're following you. Glory to God. So in verse 36, so thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their what? Father. father. And the firstborn was bear with a son and called his name Moab. And the second one, and the same is. And the younger one, verse 38, she also bear a son and called his name Benamai. And, the, son, and then the same as the father of the children. What? Ammon unto this day and the Moabites, the Ammonites, you read about them, they always trouble. They're always a thorn in Israel throughout their history. Why? Because it came from an incest relationship. So this was the gossip in that area. And Abraham didn't want to be associated with what his nephew had done with his two daughters. So he says, I got to get away. Because they know you, my nephew. (laughs) And the Bible tells us to do the same thing. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Sometimes we think this is hard, but this is the Bible. It says, I wrote unto you an epistle, not to company, With what? With what? With what? With what? Fornicators. Look at verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to what? Not to what? I know it's kind of hard. This is Bible, y'all. I'm just reading the scriptures. Don't throw no eggs, no apples. Come on. But now I have written unto you not to keep what? Company. If any man that is called a brother. Be a fornicator, a covetous, or an adulterer, or a raider, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, don't even eat with them. Abraham said, I love you, but we can't hang together, bro. Come on. Why? Because of the power of association. Because of what? The power of what? Association. People will look at who you associate with and view you the same way. Go back to Genesis chapter 20 verse 2 because here we go again. Are you getting anything out of this yet? (laughs) Genesis chapter 20, verse 2, and it says, And Abraham said unto Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But, but you got to look at this now. You got to know how old Sarah is at this time. Sarah is still, in, she's 90 years old. And she still looks fine. Some of y'all should have said, I'll take that. (laughs) Y'all didn't say nothing. (laughs) She was 90 years old and she looked good enough. that Even the kings wanted her. You ain't got to be 120 doing this. (laughs) Come on. You can be 120 looking good. Come on, are you with me? Somebody say, I'll take that. But once again, he says, she's my sister. Now, he said it this time thinking they won't abduct her like they do other women if she said, if he says she's my sister. Because he's thinking, this is the way they thought back in those days, that they would have to try to convince the brother to give her in marriage instead of taking her because why? They weren't as barbaric as the Egyptians when he went through it the first time. He didn't really think that they would take her. So this was a what? Defining moment. See, he made this decision on his own without inquiring of God. And how many times have we done that? He thought he was what? He thought he's doing the right thing to protect his wife. But instead, it what? It backfired. But what does Proverbs 1412 tell us? Proverbs 14.12. Proverbs 14.12 tell us, tells us there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are ways of what? Death. In other words, it can have grave consequences. That's why when you're confused, come on, about what to do, make sure you seek God's wisdom on the subject. Amen. Amen. Hello. But even though he made another mistake, God's mercy and grace still stepped in. Go back to Genesis verse 3, 20 verse 3. Chapter 20 verse 3. It said, but God... Genesis 20, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a what? That art but a what? <laughs> Could you imagine having a nice sound sleep? Come on, this man had a pretty woman by his side. you sleeping good. All of a sudden you get a dream and it's God. It ain't just, this ain't no normal dream. I'm talking about God. God saying, you're a dead man. <laughs> How fast would you have woken up? <laughs> he said, thou are but a dead man, but the woman which I've taken, for she is a what? Amen. Man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, thank God. <laughs> and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay a righteous nation? Also slay a righteous nation because why? Abimelech was a, righteous, was, was a righteous man by the standards of that time. So verse 5 he said, said he not unto me? He said it, she is my sister. And she even herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the intimacy of my hands have I done this? And God said unto him in a dream, Yeah. I know that thou did this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffer I thee not to touch her. Listen, integrity goes a long way in the eyes of God, even for the heathen. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. If it wasn't for this man's integrity, of doing the right things regardless of the consequences. He would have been a dead man and would have affected his entire nation. But look at what God, God does. God tells him. Now therefore restore the man his wife. For he is a prophet. and He shall pray for thee and thou shalt live. Now this is also a defining moment for Abimelech. I have to have this man pray for me. That deceived me. And almost got me killed. But God gave him a choice. And if you restore her not. (laughs) Just in case you're in the valley of decision. (laughs) Know thou that thou shalt surely die. Thou and what? All thy house. Not only only you but everybody that you rule over. Once again the consequences of defining moment affected the ones that abram was sent to point towards the one and true god see another reason they say he went to Kaddashian, sure was to spread the belief in god that was his purpose but how do you think they feel about him now come on say amen somebody amen verse eight therefore abimelech rose early in the morning he couldn't wait to get up (laughs) call his servants all these things in their ears and the men were so afraid then Abimelech called Abraham and said to them what hast thou done unto us What what have I offended thee did I do anything wrong to you that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom this great sin that thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done listen when a sinner has to tell you how wrong you are that's pretty bad. It should never get to that point. where a sinner has to tell you how wrong you are. Oh, I'm preaching good in here. Verse 10, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What south, thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought. Surely the fear of God is not in this place. And once again, they were what? Slay me for my what? Wife say. <laughs> he said surely they will slay me to get my wife. Once again only thinking about him what? Himself. They don't know God like I know him. But did he really know God like he claimed? Does he himself really fear God or reverence God like he claims? They don't. See, people say a lot of things, but their actions say otherwise. You cannot say you reverence God and know what you're doing is wrong. Let me say that one more time. You cannot say you reverence God and know what you're doing is wrong. One more time. You cannot say you reverence God and know what you're doing is wrong. But then what does he do? He tries to explain why he he wasn't really lying. (laughs) Technically, she's my sister. (laughs) Come on, say "Amen," somebody. "Amen." But this is the man that's supposed to. I'm thinking. I'm. has to be thinking about this. This is a man that's supposed to be telling me about his God. But yet he's telling me that he's afraid that I'm going to kill him and take his wife. How big is his God? Matter of fact, I had to find out about your God the hard way. (laughs) You didn't have nothing to do with me finding out about your God. Because of what you did, I found out about your God, but it wasn't good. Verse 12, and yet indeed she is my sister, and she is the daughter of my father. <laughs> Look at explaining. Yeah. But not the daughter of my mother. <laughs> See, we got different, listen, we, we, we got different mamas. <laughs> because she is my wife. <laughs> and it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. <laughs> listen to this now this is the kind that you're going to show unto me this is the kind that you'll show to me that every place whether we should go say of me he is my brother because I need you to protect me baby <laughs> you know there's something wrong with that picture come on say amen somebody see he's saying if you really care about me this is what you do for me even if it's wrong and ladies like I told the men that's where you draw the line in your defining moment to follow your husband down the wrong path why you gotta tell him I'm not going to hell with you you just go ahead and do your thing I'm staying in the will of God come on say amen somebody Verse 14, Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men's servant and women's servant and gave them unto Abraham and restored him unto him Sarah his wife. Come on, he did what God told him to do, and he's a heathen, folks. See, you cannot tell me that God cannot speak to a Bill Gates when he was alive, or God cannot speak to a Warren Buffett and tell them to bless you. Come on, with me out here. That had to be God. So somebody, I got some blessings coming. Come on, God gonna speak to somebody. God gonna speak to somebody. He ain't gonna speak to nobody that's broke. I want somebody that got some money. <laughs> Say, God, go speak to somebody. And the Bible said, behold, my land is before thee, dwell where it pleases thee. Go whatever you want, anything you want, just pick out the land, just pick out the land, pick out the land of St. Thomas, pick out the land where you want to live, 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 where do you want to live? Want to live? I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad, one person got it. Where do you want to live? Just pick it out. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee, and with all, with all others. Thus she was what? Reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservant, and they did bear children. And they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah Abraham's wife. But let me read that in the New Living Translation. New Living Translation reads, and he said to Sarah, Look, I'm giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong I have done to you. Okay, I'm glad somebody received that. Somebody said, I need to be compensated. But there's a lot of wrong being done to me. Come on, say, man, somebody, <laughs> glory to God, hallelujah. And then he said, "This will settle any claim against me." Then he says, "And your reputation is cleared." Somebody said, "My reputation is clear." Well, sad he was more concerned about Sarah's reputation than her husband. See, her husband, because of his action in that defining moment, threw her in the arms of another man. Then it says, and Abram prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female servants so they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what happened to Abram's wife, Sarah. See, Abram, at this point, he still had to humble himself, folks. And pray for that man that abducted his wife. This was a what? Defining moment. Come on. What do I do with someone that doesn't like me or does something against me? Say it again. What do I do with someone that doesn't like me or does something against me. We'll go to Proverbs twenty-five twenty-one. We're almost done. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-one it says, if thine enemy be hungry, do what? Give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty. Oh my shot! Come on. Some, probably a hair in the back. Some of y'all we were going up right now. <laughs> if he be what? Thirsty. Give him what? Water to drink. Come on. Say this is a hard saying, Pastor. <laughs> Verse 22. For thou shalt what? He coals a fire upon his head. And the Lord shall reward thee. Now don't think that you know you look at this and say, God gonna put some fire on him and burn up top of his head and beat him down. And no, this means it means to pile up or do one good deed after another for the enemy. Give one do one deed good deed after another for an enemy so as to give him a burning sense of shame for rewarding you evil for good. That's good. That's good. You, and to make him feel deep pains of repentance so that he will make peace and be kind himself. Amen, my, in other words, your action can change that man or woman. Go to Proverbs 16, 7. 16, 7. That says when a man's way, what? Pleased the Lord. What'd he do? He make it what? He make it even as what? enemies be at what? Peace of him. Now we like to quote the enemies be at peace of him but it starts off when a man's ways when a man's what? Ways please the Lord those are what? Feeding your enemy if she is hungry or he is hungry or feeding or giving your enemy something to drink if they are what? Thirsty. What are you doing? You're making sure you are... Listen. Your ways are pleasing to who? Lord. And when you make sure your ways are pleasing to the Lord by by the way you treat them. By the way you treat them. By the way you treat them. That's when he'll make what? The enemies be at what? Peace with you. So you have a part to play. So you got to do what? Make sure your ways what? Please the Lord by doing what Jesus told you to do in Matthew 5:43 as we come to a close. Some of y'all are probably saying thank you Jesus. <laughs> Matthew 5:43. <5, 43. laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Matthew 5:43. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. That's the world's way of thinking. But the problem is, a lot of Christians had adapt, have adapted the world's way of thinking. And they hate the enemy and they keep grudges. They keep grudges. They keep grudges. And they'll say, I forgave them, but let that person walk in the room. Just the sight of that person changes their whole personality. <laughs> but I forgave them. <laughs> so he said, Thou shalt, The world says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate the enemy. But he said, I say unto you, <laughs> love your what? enemies bless them not curse you do good to them not hate you pray for them not despitefully use you and persecute you and every one of them are going against your flesh that's why you got to do it by faith (laughs) why this is God's way of thinking Why? Because your actions can change the heart of that man or woman and God will step in and cause them to be a blessing to you. And God will cause them to give you favor that you wouldn't have gotten any other way. So lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we give you praise. Father, we give you glory. Father, we give you honor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, oh Lord. Come on, let's give God praise.